Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now your hosts, Peter DeMott and Gigi Embricks. So this is Peter DeMott, and over in Colorado is... Gigi Embricks. And down in Texas is... Scott Trees. Right, we're going to have a little interview this morning with a long-time equine photographer, Scott Trees. Um, some of it may be a repeat from one of our episodes where we were talking about uh, photography workshops and uh, traveling events and things like that. But Scott, you've been in photography for a long time. We always ask people which came first, the horse or the photography. Give us just a little brief discussion about how you got into equine photography. Well, in my case, the horse definitely came first. I, I grew up around horses. Uh, my mother had world champion saddlebreds. My brother had quarter horses. And then my mother and my stepfather had Arabians. So I've never really had a time in my life that I didn't have horses around me. Um, showed them that all those kinds of things. And it was in college when I actually picked up a camera seriously for the first time and uh, borrowed a my mother's Minolta SRT 101 35 millimeter camera and brought it back three months later after having had the bug bite me big time. And uh, basically I was shooting black and white. And I think that, that that was part of what enamored me with it all was all those many hours that I would spend in a dark room and uh, the fascination of seeing the prints come up in the soup. And so I actually in college, um, I was uh, grew up wanting to be a doctor, actually, and 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 wow. they, they correlate <laughs> the mind and the body to to uh, each other. But when I was applying and looking at med schools, and I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll be a vet. And then I realized I could put a person to sleep easier than I could a dog. So um, I switched my degree to psychology, and then all this happened. And the photography bug bit me, so I started the party picture business for fraternities and sororities in, in uh, Colorado State University. And I was the first one to do it. Nobody else was doing it. And I made a killing. I paid for school. Wow. And so I just started. I just started. But that was people photography. That was people. And I started doing anything I could to take pictures in college. And I did a lot of people in sports and all that kind of stuff. And then one day my mom asked me to, um, to, you know, photograph her horses for her. And I had a knack for it. And I'm not sure how Polly heard it, but an Arab photographer by the name of Polly Noel called me and said that there was a show in Pueblo, Colorado that she couldn't do and would I be interested in taking it? And, and I said, sure. And little, little did I know that that would be the beginning. Hmm. Um, and so you did a big show. Was a big A show? Or? It, yeah, it was an A show. It was an Arab show down in Pueblo, Colorado. And I kind of, we kind of laughed. It, it, you know, in, in those days, everybody, of course, it was still shot in black and white. And a lot of photographers would put stuff, or contact sheets or, in this case, stabilization prints out on site. So... I rented a trailer uh, that had no air conditioning. It was like 106 in Pueblo, Colorado. And a friend of mine came down with me. And we shot all day and printed all night and just... <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it was wild. And, and you know, in those days, they they had the uh, the oval that you'd do a headshot and they'd put this oval around it. And we had these this mask, obviously, the cardboard with the oval cut out. And, and we're driving back after literally not sleeping for three days. And anyway, I lived in Fort Collins at the time, and, and I realized that I was hallucinating um, horses in ovals. And my friend that was helping me 
Ray, he pulled over. He was in front of me, and I said, what's the matter? And he said, man, I had to stop. I'm hallucinating ovals and horses. And I said, we got to go get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that started it. Um, I did the horse shows for not too many years. I didn't, truthfully, I didn't really enjoy shooting them. But um, my, I did a lot of commercial work as well, and I always have and still do. Commercial um, work being what? Oh, gosh. Uh, architecture, fashion, commercial product. Um, oh, okay. Those kinds of things. And so then in, in uh, I got in, involved. Um, I was speaking back then, and a fellow heard me speak when I actually spoke in Dallas, Texas. And I was living in Colorado, at the, or North Carolina then by that time. And he said, you've got a great eye. Have you ever thought about shooting film? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've always wanted to. So um, he, was do- he had a big production company here in Dallas, and he was doing a lot of horse work. And so he brought me in and trained me on 16 millimeter. And I started doing some horse work for him and some, um, some uh, other commercial work. But prior to that, I actually come back from a horse show and uttered the famous last words, I'm never going to photograph another horse as long as I live. And, um, <laughs> And didn't for a while. I mean, I did a few things, but you got then, a little burned out. Huh? Got a little burned out, and yeah. and so um, he also had a marketing division, advertising division in his company, and a, and a very prominent Arabian horse farm was going out of business uh, and having a dispersal sale. And I was hired to shoot the catalog, and this would have been in 1983. And they said they wanted to do something different, which at that point in the Arabian uh, world was turning the horses loose. And um, the trainer wasn't keen on the idea, but the owner was. And so, so it, instead it, of just a standard uh, conf- confirmation picture, they wanted some excitement and yeah, and at, 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 at liberty at, stuff. Yeah, and I said, well, you know, how about if we turn them loose? And so, um, you know, I'm sure if I saw the catalog today, I'd be horrified. But it, you know, it started. It started, and it happened to start at a time when the Arabian industry as well took a giant leap forward. And so it was right place, right time, and it all, you know, snowballed from there. It was a pretty exciting time. It was, uh, you know, the Arab industry there for a while was, you know, selling horses as living art. And, you know, it was a different world then. There were maybe three of us that were shooting, four maybe. Um, and so there was plenty of work. And in that era, the money that was being spent for horses was was huge, and the budgets that we had to shoot were huge and so pretty much anything I could think of that I wanted to shoot um, people would let me do it and so I was the kind of the outside the box thinker I mean I would I did uh, horses in studios and night shoots and fog shoots and out of context locations where most people were used to seeing horses I mean it was still you know I was I came along with just a different look Um, and so it 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 was a good opportunity for me Mm. Great. So, uh, just a little more curiosity. So, you did a lot of the Arab farms, mm-hmm. but when I look at the Arabian Horse Magazine, the photography there is, you know, uh, American photographers. There's photographers from Italy and other places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, were they all running around too no, during this time? No, in that era. Yeah, let's keep in mind this was pre-digital and pre-autofocus and pre-you know pre-auto anything. So there were really about three or four of us that were 
were doing the majority of the work. And it was a really heady time. I mean, in all honesty, for every day of work I took, I turned away two or three. I couldn't begin to keep up with the demand. You know, we all, most all of us shot medium format cameras. I used the Mamiya 330 and uh, um, the Pentax 645 when it came out. And so we had 12 or 15 shots a roll. So, you know, you didn't overshoot. I mean, you 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 had to develop your sense of timing and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, and then fast forward to today where if you walk into a restaurant and ask anybody, ask how many professional photographers are there, about half the people will raise their hands. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it, it was just a different era then. And, um, you know, but it, it was great while it lasted and I was too young and too stupid to realize it wouldn't last forever. <laughs> so, you know, but it was good while it lasted. Good. Good. Yeah. So I did want to ask you, you know, that was what your first 10 or 15 years looked like. Mm-hmm. What have the last 10 or 15 years looked like? Completely different. It has, of course, the digital. It's been challenging. It's I'm been sure. very challenging. The, the, the digital age has changed a lot of things, and and in all honesty, I'm 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 glad I'm at the phase in my career I'm at now. Um, Which is I do sem- a lot of semi-retired. Well, not now. I'm no? still working, but okay. I'm not. I'm I'm basically in Act Three of my career. I mean, I'm 65 years old, and so uh, you know, I consider myself to be in Act Three, and and. I've never seen myself retiring. I've always told people, you know, I'm dead when you wave a camera under my nose and I don't quiver. But, um, <laughs> but it just, um, it is, you know, there's so much more. The digital realm has put the gear in, into everybody's hands. And, you know, in the film days, when I showed up to a location for a shoot, I knew that, you know, I would have the best gear there. And not anymore. I mean, it's not uncommon for the trainers or their wives or clients to have the same gear or newer gear than me. And the digital age has created the impression that it's so easy to take pictures. And, yeah. and the iPhone has certainly fostered that. Well, why, I don't know why, what's the big deal, you guys? All I had to do is hold it up and push this little button. I break it down to picture takers versus picture creators. And the takers are dime a dozen. And, and especially on a subject like a horse, I mean, compound the fact that it's, it's, yes, it's the act of taking a picture has become much simpler, but it still requires a knowledge of the horse and lighting and, and those kinds of things to get the shot that catches people's eye. But the biggest change I've seen, too, is that, uh, is that good enough has become acceptable. And so there's that attitude on the part of a lot of people, oh, it's, it's good enough, let's use it. We don't need to hire a pro. Let's just, you know, I can go out and I can shoot, you know, I can hold and hope, which is what I call the hold a button down and hope you get something and shoot 5,000 pictures and hope you get something. The competitive edge of it's different because there are so many people out there that want to do it that they're desperate for the work and essentially they give it away and they, and they don't realize that if they really want to make it make a go of it, they have to do it as a business. And, and so it's, it's a lot more competitive um, and we're also, as an industry, all of us in the equine business, I don't care what your discipline is, we're dealing with a dwindling market. I mean... There's a downward spiral right now in all of the breeds in terms of registrations and growth and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just, you know, our market's decreasing and there's a lot more competition than there was when I started. Are you still doing a lot with Arab horses? Yes, I'm doing a lot with Arabs and and I do um, some of the broke horses, the Frisians and stuff. And and, in all honesty, one of the faster – I've also, from the start of the film side of my career I've, you know I've gone through the whole gamut of 16 millimeter to all the video formats and I do a lot of video work now a lot 
And yeah. um, it's, you know, I, in, in my teach, it's one of the things I share with my students that if you're not learning about video, you're already behind the curve because whether we like it or not, that's where it's going. I, mean, uh, I have a question about that. Do you do like for the breeds to their their particular horse or what type of video work are you I do, doing? I do. Um, again, this is kind of spun off from my from my commercial endeavors. More training, educational, promotional, yeah. And so, for example, if people have a stallion, you know, we would do a stallion promo or we would do a uh-huh. farm promo. Um, I've done a lot of, and I'm working on a couple of big projects right are, now. Are these um, used on their websites or on do their they websites send them out on... I actually was the first one in the Arab industry to come out with this where we'd give them a VHS tape, you know, and then they'd pass those out and then it went to DVDs. And now, yes, now it's on their websites. It's on the Internet. I mean, that is another medium and industry that's changed dramatically. And I'm working now on some projects within the Arab industry. Um, one of them is called 12 People, 12 Horses, 12 Stories. And it's a, oh. a, ser- a series that I'm doing uh, of different kinds of stories about the Arabian horse. And, and oh. we're going to actually get the uh, start shooting in about uh, 60 days. And oh, that's so to it, promote the breed? Yeah, it, yes. It's, it's to promote overall, yes. It's definitely a goal to try and, and dispel the myth about the Arabian horse that you can't do anything with them. Um, and because that, you know, that is kind of the common consensus. They're pretty expensive and you can't do anything with them. Yes, they're pretty. Some are expensive. But they're one of the most versatile breeds in the industry. You know, I'm just looking to to tell some different stories. I mean, I, I the last few years, um, I, I developed a, a, a format I call it the narrative tells a story. And the actual first one I did that for was when I shot for Charlie and Shirley Watts of Rolling Stone fame. And, and I did a video for them. And I interviewed Shirley, his wife. And she gave me a great interview. And I really enjoyed gleaning the story out of her interview. So a lot of what I do is is go in and sit down and talk to people and then sit down and say, okay, you know, where's the story and build it from there. I've heard that video. I've toyed with it and then I put it down and then I want to pick it up again. It, it's it's another, you know, big learning curve, but it I do think it's the future. It's a different beast altogether. As still photographers, we're conditioned to tell that story in an instant. Mm-hmm. And as video people, we have to tell that story in a series of instances, and, and you have to kind of constantly shoot from the standpoint of where do I go from here. And mm-hmm. as still shooters, we're spoiled. You know, we they bring the horse out, we shoot him. Um, you know, we go back and and sort through our proofs and post them, or, or pick out what the client wants, and we're done. You know, as video people, our job's just getting started after we shoot the horse. It's it's a, it's a very labor intensive, time intensive medium. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, it's it's where it's going. I mean, if the good Lord came down to me and said, okay, I'm going to give you a choice, Scott, you can take pictures or video, but you can't do both without question. I would say photography would bat an eye. But as a business person, I know that video is where it's moving to. And part of, part of what we as photographers are facing, uh, and those of us whose living depends upon a timing, uh, which is horse photographers, ours certainly does, is that the technology in video gears our video cameras is getting to the point that I mean, at some very high levels right now of the of the professional video cameras, you can pull a magazine quality freeze frame off of a of a clip of video. It's coming down the pike to the consumer level right now. I mean, I've got a, a Sony, a small Sony 4K video camera. Not it's a two thousand dollar camera. Nothing you know, nothing exotic. And I have played with stills off of it. And uh-huh. I'm amazed at the quality. And really? so, yeah. yeah, 
And so, you know, what's going to happen is pretty soon we're going to be able to, you know, just hold that camera up and they grab the frame we want. And, and it's going to bring, bring about another big change to photographers. Yeah, it's definitely coming. Yeah, I, I see that too myself. Um, and I've thought about how do I jump in here early? <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, and it's, you know, the other part of it is, is that it's just as, as business people, it's, an, it's always been, and at least for me, it's been something that, you know, when the photography business was slower, the video business seemed good and vice versa. But it was also uh-huh. another service that I could offer my client. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and again, video is no different than still. There's the, the, the software that comes with most computer now creates the illusion that it's very easy to do. And, you know, our iPhones are, I think the new iPhone is going to take 4K, which is amazing. You know, there's this illusion that, gosh, this isn't hard. But again, when you get down to it, it's how you put it together and how you keep people's attention. And, and you know, the key is it's one thing to get them to come to your site and know that there's a video there. The, the trick is to get them to watch it um, yeah. and stay with it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just like we as photographers experience. You know, those, it, there's definitely an art to it. Uh, there's a lot of average stuff out there. But, um, you know, but that's just the digital age is... It's the, it's the age we live in. Yes. Yeah. So, Scott, um, give me a little picture of your business in this respect. Uh, we know you do some teaching. Uh, you're doing some video. You're doing stills. Um, kind of break it up into percentages of oh, where, where your income <laughs> comes from. It's probably a third. I would right now. I'd sit on Los Angeles. Say it's about evenly split. About a third, a third, and a third. A third photography, a third video, and a third teaching. And the, probably the photography video thing will kind of waver. Like my busiest months as a photographer, which I'm assuming is kind of the same for all of us, are generally going to be from uh, March, April till about now. Um, and so then I kind of switch my years and, and push into my video projects that either I've shot and need to edit. Or um, and I'm working on some of my own video projects, which I do in the winter. Uh, some of my own teaching DVDs and those kinds of things. Um, you know, so it, it kind of wavers. I mean, it kind of vacillates. But I think that would be kind of a fair breakdown right now. Right. So you know, I think one of the things that has made you have a long-lasting career is your flexibility and learning new things. And absolutely, going from and black and white film to color film to right. uh, digital to video. You know, it's kind of looking at the landscape and making changes as needed. That is that that, that you're right, Peter. That has given me that ability to do that. Plus, horses aren't the only thing that I shoot. Uh-huh. And so, you know, what percentage uh, of your business is horse? Well, now, horse. now it's more now it's 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 uh, probably 80 percent horses. But when I was working in Dubai, it was about 40 percent horses. Oh, so um, most of my work in Dubai was commercial based. Uh-huh. How has the commercial industry changed? Same thing. They're they're fighting the same thing. We all are. I mean, it's. And in, now, in, uh, at the higher end, and, and let's, I mean, let's say, you know, it, at all levels at the higher end of photography, the people that are willing to pay for good quality are always going to pay for it. Um, you know, people that want cheap are only going to pay cheap. And so, the, and the commercial people are finding much the same thing. I mean, when you get, you know, into the high-end fashion, those people are, you know, they're busy and, and they have the budgets to work with, although it's, it's, it's dwindling down a little bit, too. But, you know, you're finding that people are a little more reluctant to pay what they used to pay because there's so many out there 
people they'll say, well, I can do it for less than that. And yeah. they can't deliver quite the same quality. But again, well, it's good enough for what we need. Let's use it. I mean, it's, yeah. so it's, it's kind of the whole digital landscape has changed. I think I don't know that there's a, an, an element of photography that it hasn't. Uh, I, I was recently at a uh, situation where uh, I was just watching um, a film crew shoot a video. Mm. And it became pretty clear to me pretty quickly they didn't really know what they were doing. And I was sitting with a friend of mine and said, that's what I compete with. You know, yeah. those people that come and say, well, we can do it. I mean, anybody can rent the gear and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's a whole lot more to it, as we all know, that have done it for so long than just having the gear. I mean, the gear is... Well, isn't it also hiring crews and all sorts of mm-hmm. things once you mm-hmm. get into video? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Video is a group effort. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how do you think marketing plays into all this for, you know, you know, well, we all have to market and you marketing I mean, is changing also. Marketing you know? is changing so much as well. I mean, in all honesty, in the 80s, I didn't have to market myself because I was in the magazines all the time and, you know, the name was out there and again, there was only three or four of us doing it consistently. Right. And, you know, part of, part of what we as professionals, and you all have been in this long enough to understand too, part of what we're paying for is the consistency of, deli- of delivering a product. And, the, you know, if people are going to go to the effort to pull a horse out of the stall and groom it and do all the work it takes on their end, they want to know that they're going to have a chance of getting something when, when this is all said and done. And, you know, so the, and that, that's when, when I'm talking to people that want to do this, I say, you know, part of what we ha- you have to learn to do and be able to do is produce, creatively produce on demand. It doesn't matter if you don't feel good, if you're tired, if you had a fight with your wife, if you have money problems, if you just don't want to be there that day. When you walk onto that set or onto that location, you're expected to, to turn all that off and produce on demand. And so, you know, from the marketing standpoint, Yes, there's so many different ways to reach people now. I mean, you know, Facebook, of course, is, is a big one. Um, and put your name out there. And, you know, but I still feel that word of mouth and certainly exposure in the magazines never hurts. And I know that's where a lot of people are trying. Well, how do I get my picture in the magazine? You know, it's a catch 22. I mean, I can't get my picture there. But so if I offer to give my job for free, so I get my picture in there. And then it's like, yeah. I understand that. But, you know, it's hard to increase your prices from free. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, if you, you know, it, it's a catch 22 for, for beginning photographers. And I would, I would never, ever discourage anybody from trying to be a professional photographer. It's giving me a great career, a great lifestyle. You know, I, and I'll be honest, I don't make as much money as I used to in the eighties. It was ridiculous. I mean, but I work smarter too. I mean, it bottom line is profitability every year, but I'm very honest with them and saying, it's not like it was when I started. It's a lot more competitive. If you want to make a million in photography, start with two and, um, you know, be aware that it's, it's going to, can you do it? Sure. I mean, talent, there's room for talent, but it's a difficult journey to make it really pay what you might be paying paid for another job. It takes some time. And a lot of people just don't have that time. One thing that we're learning with this podcast is that there are many more niches than we thought uh-huh. yeah. uh, within the photography industry. Uh-huh. So there, you know, there's people taking Western decor pictures, and there's people like you that are in the Arab world, and then there's other people that are doing 
books on their adventures. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. Well, and that, so. and that, and that, if you want to make it, I think you have to almost be Nietzsche. And I think that's certainly, you know, as I've said, I've done all kinds of things in my, as a photographer, but horses have always been the engine that pulled the train or got me to where I was um, to do the other stuff. And so, yes, if you're specialized in something, you, you definitely have a, a better opportunity for sure. Yeah, that's a big hot topic today, um, whether you should do everything and or whether you should focus on one subject, focus on one, you know, genre. And I've had conversations with many photographer friends and and it's it seems like the older photographers feel that you have to do everything. So you know how to do it. You know, you can do anything at any time. And then, you know, younger, successful photographers say, oh, no, I, I'm special in this certain thing. And this is what has brought me to success. So what would, what would you, your opinion well, be? Well, I mean, I have to say, if I look at my own career, the specialty certainly is what made it possible for me that the mm-hmm. offshoot of everything else I did came about because of that specialty. Um, and in other words, the connections you made exactly. brought other work or, or the fact um, that, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. when I was in uh, Dubai, I shot a stallion for one of, for the ruler of Sharjah and I photographed him with the horse in front of the palace. And I, I was invited in to have tea after it was all said and done. And me being me, I walked in with the camera and, and was taking some pictures. And when I delivered the shots of the horse as a thank you um, to Sheikh Sultan, I gave him some pictures that I had taken inside the palace. Little did I realize that, A, cameras weren't allowed inside the palace and, B, Ooh. pictures were inside the palace. <laughs> and, but he liked them. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about doing a book. Would you be interested in doing uh, a book on my palace? Really, what I really wanted to do when I first started out shooting, I wanted to be an architectural photographer. So I've always enjoyed that side of, of shooting. And so, I mean, that all came about because of horses. And then that job led to a ton of architectural work in, in Dubai. Um, and so, but if it wasn't for horses, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a stream that goes down. You, you start here and then right. other things right. come in with and that's stuff. And that's part of your marketing thing. I mean, you know, um, we all go out there, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still not a big fan of horse shows, but they're, you know, I go mainly to meet people and network and market and keep your face out there. I mean, word, word of mouth is still one of your biggest marketing tools. And, and yeah. as a matter of fact, on an EPN net, um, one lady had saying, you know, she'd been offered a major horse show and had never done one before. Uh, was there any, any many comments? And I basically wrote on there, well, be careful, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you could ruin your career by not, by, by. Not giving performing. a poor performance at yeah. that horse yeah. show. At, at a na- this was a national show. And in today's world, again, I think because of the digital side of things, I think, I think people are, you know, are very quick to judge. And, you know, if there's so many people out there that do it, that if you kind of screw up once or twice, maybe you might not get another shot at it for a while. For uh, sure. Because people sure. In, the, in this business, people talk, well, I used so-and-so, they gave me some really good work. Or I tried it, and boy, they just didn't deliver anything. And yeah. so, you know, I very careful to advise people, you know, I mean, I certainly I'll be the first to admit I did a lot of jobs that sometimes when especially when I was doing some of these night shoots and stuff that I was going by the seat of my pants. But but I had a pretty good idea what I was doing and it, it was all new, but I, I was, it was still based upon a pretty solid foundation of knowing what needed to be done. But um, again, in the, in the desire to try and get that live that dream of being a photographer. I think sometimes younger photographers will take on assignments that they really can't, don't know how to do. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that it, I see that all the time. It's mm-hmm. you know you hear well, just jump in and you'll figure it out. I don't. I think that like especially like you say at a horse show with all those people in front of you, you don't want to mess that up. You right. want to put out your best foot. Right. Um, and then, practice and that, in your backyard. I agree. And 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 horse shows, boy. The, I mean, the word will get out pretty quick at, amongst the exhibitors if you're not delivering, if you're missing your timing, or or if you don't deliver your product, or you know. Well, yeah, you have to meet the expectation, and if you're not aware of what the expectations are, then you're in big doo doo. Yeah, you know? you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and and that is, you know, again, it's that produce on demand venue and and consistency of results and. And then there's two sides to it. You know, you all are business. You've run it as a business for a long time. You understand that the photography or whatever aspect of it you're doing, that's just a part of it. There's a lot of our time that goes to make it run as a business. We, I know you probably were like me when, when these digital cameras came out. You thought, oh, boy, you know, I'm going to save all this money on film and processing and, and all this time. And it's all of a sudden, you know, those, those savings went far out the window with camera upgrades, software upgrades, and we've now all become our own lab. So, you know, um, it it's it, it definitely is a different monster, but it's a time monster. It takes a lot of time to make it work. Yeah, it, right. it definitely does. So, Scott, I have two more questions, and then we're going to probably try to wrap this up. But okay. the first one is uh, you're teaching some of it's at workshops, but I think some of it's online. Uh-huh. Um, how does that work? The online part is it is it functional or is it mainly that you do these workshops and that's where you make your teaching um, money? Actually, my online it, it's it, I've experimented with a lot of different approaches since I, I started doing this, and I'm finding that the online delivery um, I do what I've done is videos. Um, some of them are the initial ones were were um, just a transfer of my of my PowerPoint presentations that I would use when teaching. Now they've become gradually more elaborate, where I make the videos available online for people to, to go watch. And they're you know they can. So is it a pay per view or is it a package? package. It, it would be it'd be a package. Yes. Okay. Uh, eventually, I would like to get it to a pay per view point, but um, right now it's a package because I'm still kind of trying to test those waters out myself. Uh-huh. Um, are you where are I, you getting takers? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's okay. it's definitely there's definitely interest there, and I don't have them out there all the time. I you know I put them out at different times of the year, but um, and then the other aspect of it is the location workshops, and the location workshops are where I can give you certainly more personal attention. And there's two different aspects to that. Um, there is the actual location workshops that, uh, for example, probably the biggest one I do is in association with Green Shippers of EPN Net and our Equine Photographers Network that, you know, that Sombrero Ranch shoot. And this will be our 10th year. And, you know, that's an amazing shoot. And, and you know, I create, I head that one up and create scenarios for the students to shoot and in the, and teach them while I'm shooting. Uh, and I, with, with Corinne and on my own, I've done different variations of that same approach. Not quite that elaborate. That's a pretty amazing workshop. But, but I've also got another offshoot that I started this year that I've tested the waters out with of weekend workshops that are all classroom based, but nowhere near as expensive as a location workshop. Do they and come to you or you go to them? Or I, I basically will go to them. I'll go to an area. Um, mm-hmm. And so, for example, um, the last one I did was, where was it? It was in... Um, Oklahoma, and um, it's I have one day of photography, one day of video, and they're eight hours. It's a nine to five. It's all classroom based, but I cover a lot of ground, 
and I use I use uh, uh, stills and video to demonstrate what I talk about. And in in that case, it's more of a it's fundamentals of equine photography, fundamentals of equine videography. And so you know, so how do you get the word out about those? You know, or, or right now, right now, it's been again. I've been testing my waters on that this year, and uh, through local people that have that have. Um, Indicated that they wanted a, a, a workshop in their area, and then we go through camera clubs and take some ads in local newspapers or venues there, uh, Facebook, you know, just to get the word out. Um, yeah. and, and so, how many students do you end up with? You know, I, I mean, I've had as few as six and as many as twenty. Uh-huh. I, ideally, you know, you'd like about eight to ten. Um, but um, I mean, the, the beauty of a classroom situation is that I can teach as many as want to come. I mean, it's harder. A location workshop, ideally I prefer to keep it to about 10 or 12 people because yeah. that way I can really focus in on uh, one of the things that I do before my workshops is I, I, I send a questionnaire out to my students to get a feel for what they think their level of experience is and what they want to learn and, and, uh, and specific issues that they might have, be having trouble with. And then especially, especially for that last situation, I try and create a scenario that helps them deal with that situation that they have trouble shooting. And so if I have too many people, it's hard to pull those kinds of scenarios together. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of education to me is, is priceless. Um, if for people who are starting out, you know, you got to learn the basics, but yeah. then you need to get to people who really can help you and go to some of these uh, workshops and classes um, to to advance, you know, we're always advancing. I'm always looking for, okay, now I want to learn this, or now I yeah. need to know this. And I find that uh, workshops and those kind of things are the in-person are workshops, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's you know, we all have our own approach. I mean, and I'm not one of the, I'm up to. I'll tell you anything I know. I mean, I'm I'm not one of those photographers that will only tell you so much and then might be afraid you might learn something that I do that's a special secret trick or something. I'll tell you anything I know, and yeah. I'm and it's I and I don't. That doesn't mean you're going to take pictures like me, and it's not because I'm so great or so wonderful. It's just because there's that other part that comes from that inner self that gives us our own style and how we approach things. But the one thing I have found in the digital age, and again, as, as an old film shooter, is I found that a lot of people in today's digital age really don't understand exposure and lighting and those kinds of things because, again, the taking process is so easy. So I spend time teaching that. And... Um, you know, and you're right, Gigi. You, you've, you've, you've. There's always something to learn. Always something to learn. Always, yeah. And you know, if, if, and that, that part of it, I enjoy, and, and I enjoy teaching. I mean, I've had a great career, and, and I get excited. You know, seeing people get excited about taking pictures It's fun for me. Yeah. Um, just before my last question, uh, what is the typical workshop like that? Uh, what is the consumer investment? Um, the weekend workshops, uh, the day, the one day workshops are one seventy nine for each workshop individually, or three hundred for both. Um, and then the, the the location workshops kind of vary depending upon what's going on. Anywhere from eight hundred to twelve hundred, fifteen hundred bucks. It just depends on what's happening. Yeah. Okay, my last question. We wanted to, you know. Uh, suck your brain on uh, 
What is the latest way that you tend to light your horses? Uh, Gigi was asking that. So, um, yeah, I'm at that lighting stage where I know that. Yeah, lighting, that's our paintbrush, isn't it? I mean, it's, it is. That's, that's what I tell people that, you know, light's the photographer's paintbrush. And that is the, the ability to see light is critical if you want to take your photography onto the next level. And um, fortunately, that's been one of my strengths as a shooter is the way I use light. And, I mean, for us, the primary. Uh, uh, primary light source we have is the sun with horses. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of studio shoots and night shoots and those kinds of things, which are, you know, a very technical kind of shoot. Um, but the majority of people that have access to shooting horses are going to shoot them outside. And, and that's, that's... So and so, what is your recommendation on early morning, setting late up? Early morning, late afternoon. And, the, and the, key, the key to lighting is to understand that, A, it has color and it has direction. And it has, it has quality and quantity. So how much, how much light is there? What kind of light is it? It's going to have color from, for example, if you photographed a gray horse at sunrise, you, it probably the pictures came back the horse was golden because, you know, our eye saw white, but the camera sensor saw that golden color on the light. But, and, it's, and it's direction. I mean, the, the key part, years and years and years ago, and probably everybody's heard this, you know, you should have the sun behind your back when you take a picture. Well, that happened because in the early, early days of photography, the, the emulsions were so slow that you had to have all the light you could get to just to record and capture an image. And that's fine, except if you have light coming like that, there's no shadow. And, and we have to understand that we're trying to take a three-dimensional subject, capture it in a two-dimensional medium, and have it come back looking like a three-dimensional photograph. Yeah, and so true. that happens because of shadow. And so, you know, you, it's really important to learn the basic directions of lighting. And so you have front light, side light, back light, and then either what they call a short light or 45-degree light from the front of the back. So front light's what it sounds like. The sun's behind your back. Side light, move that, you know, and envision a circle in front of you. So move that, move that circle, let's say, to your left 45 degrees, and now you have side light. So move that's another, mainly just moving the horse, right? Well, yeah, moving the horse. This, the yeah, but but you know what I suggest to people is take something like uh, uh, a bale of hay even and put it somewhere where you can keep it there all day long and walk a circle around it and see how the light at different times of day, different directions changes it. I a lot of my lighting is what what I call a forty five degree short light, or, um, where uh, you have. You know, it's either at a, and usually it's more of a backlit aspect for me to give that little sense of depth and shadow. And I don't shoot during the highlight of the day. Um, kind of my easy rule of thumb is when I'm going outside and having to squint, it's getting a little too bright. And in the afternoon, when I don't have to squint anymore, it's okay. So this time of year, you're going to be from sunrise till about ten o'clock, um, ten thirty, and then from about three o'clock till sunset. Mm-hmm. I have a question, particularly on lighting, that I ran into, and maybe others have, too. I was photographing a buckskin horse, and it was kind of a bad time of day. It was harsh lighting. And the horse, the color of the horse looked great in the sun, but the people, <laughs> the people, you know, they they yeah. looked terrible in the sun. So would you use a reflector on the people and I use the horse? I use reflectors a lot, and I would also move the horse into the shade, um, because especially that color horse. Um, uh-huh. And for more even light, for more even lighting, because even in shade, your your light's still going to have direction. And so, um, you know, I would try and find a, a, especially at the highlight of the day. One of the reasons you don't like the highlight of the day is a, it's very contrasting, it's very harsh, and it yeah. creates those shadows underneath the horses and people that are very unflattering. 
So um, you can, if you move them into a shaded area under a tree or something like that, you're going to get a much softer, even light on your subject, but it can still have direction. And in that case, I might take my reflector and pop some light in from the reflector into that shaded area just to put some highlights into the people and the horse. Oh, okay. So do you have more than one reflector that you bring on a shoot? Um, yeah. I mean, okay, I, so I how, what size I, reflectors are well, you Well, I use different about? reflectors. I have the Photoflex, which I like because they, they're the round collapsible discs that, yeah. that I like those mainly because they're easy to travel with. Um, and I have the, what is it, a 48-inch of those. I've got a couple of those. And then I also use the California Sun Bounces, which are on a more rigid frame and are great to use, but they're very hard to travel with because they're big. Like I've got one that's, I've got a couple that are four feet tall and three feet wide, but they're easier to hold and they can also go on light stands. Um, but, um, but more, but the majority of it is with, is with a, the, this, the, uh, photo flexes because they're, I like those because you can also bend them to kind of soften the light and wrap the light around your subject. Um, and um, again, if, if you travel, they're a lot easier to travel with. Yeah, and I tend well, to that's probably a whole class in itself. Is it is a whole class in itself? <laughs> it really is. But yeah. and I tend to use the silver side, not the gold side. Um, Me too. I do that yeah. too because you can always change the tone of the image in Photoshop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah. So, but if you have a golden piece of the image, you can't really fix that. You know, yeah, and I just find it tends to make everything look just way too warm. I mean, I, I like right. warm color, but the, the golden tends to make it look way too too much. Right, yeah. and the white's yeah. just not strong enough. Yeah, usually. exactly. And so you know, and 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 that is, I mean, I use reflectors a lot. I'm not a big fan on fill flash. Now, interestingly enough, when I shot in the film days, and I shot a Mamiya 330, I used fill flash all the time. Part of that was because. In that era, the lenses didn't have a lot of contrast. It was a great camera for horses because you looked at the top lens and you photographed at the bottom lens and you never lost sight of the shot when you shot it. You knew if you got it or not. But um, what happens with fill flash for me is it tends to flatten out. And mm-hmm. I want to see more shape to my, to my lighting. And fill flash tends to, on camera fill flash. Now, if you got the time to set up you know some off-camera flashes and can, can control all that but it's i don't use a lot of flash with horses on location because the problem is that they're horses and yeah. nine times out of ten we're going to say i want the horse to stand right there and it has no desire to stand there at all it's i'm not going to do it and so it's it's very difficult to light for all the contingencies that you might deal with when shooting horses so yeah yeah and again, that's and, an, and that's the fact that you're outside and the wire, you know, you you yeah. got light stands, and the more obstacles, right. Right. the risk, the higher risk of yeah. things yeah. going. I mean, it's, it's hard enough without adding all those other variables to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, very true. Well, this has been fun and informative. Well, we appreciate your time. I thank you for asking me. I, I was honored to be uh, part of your show. You're doing a great job. Have okay. you listened to a couple of our shows? I have. I have. Absolutely. So for for all of our listeners, um, we certainly appreciate that you've given us your time today to listen to this podcast, and we hope that you'll go to iTunes and subscribe so that you get our future uh, episodes as well. We'd love to have you make a comment in the comment section of iTunes, and um, we're going to close it up for this issue. So. Thank you very much, Scott, and goodbye, Gigi. Yeah. And thanks thanks to you both.
any any time. Always enjoy always enjoy talking about about our our industry and our business. Yeah, and I hope to be at one of your workshops one of these days. Really, well, I hope soon. to see you there. Yeah, Oops. I will. You're on All my right. list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for the Equine Photographers Podcast. We hope that you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn, grow, and be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding equine image makers.